if their servers go down, nobody's cats are getting fed. Mm. Um, and that's what happened for two days. And people were calling it Starvey Cat as a service. <laughs> and like, God. Um, yeah, so it's a good example of sort of what not to do. Hello and welcome to Offscript. My name's Josh and I'm joined by James and today we're talking about Internet of Things. Hello Rio, how are you doing? I'm good. So today we're going to talk about the Internet of Things, which is an awful phrase (laughs) (laughs) Um, and doesn't really describe what it is at all. No, Um, no, not not at all. I I have had mixed experiences with the Internet of Things. <laughs> yeah. So when you think Internet of Things, you think like shit consumer products. Yeah. Wi-Fi enabled kettles. Still got an issue with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just all the consumer side of it. But actually, there is a whole industry of stuff going on, which there's actually some useful applications. Useful things. Yeah. Actual actual problems solved <laughs> yeah. using technology. Yeah. Um, well, before Internet of Things was a term, people were like connecting devices across the country, across the world. Yeah. Before that, like it's just garnered this new sort of term and it sort of seems to be more sensory leaning like Mm. in the hobbyist world at least Mm. but to me it means anything connected to the internet which is just anything anyway yeah it's (laughs) It's just the internet (laughs) yeah um i mean yeah the the people that have been doing this for the longest are like banks they've been rolling out atm machines you've got point of sale you know like people have been doing connected devices um like even like um, vending machines and stuff, mm. they they all used to have like SIM cards and machine to machine comms in there and stuff like that. That's sort of the very early beginnings of like getting these devices talking to each other. I guess only only recently we've been able to see a lot more exposure to it because the affordability and technology has got to a point where anything can be connected to internet because of how how it's it, built. Yeah, the price points come down. You can get a ESP32 microcontroller, you can hmm. stick it on your kettle and <laughs> whack it on Amazon. <laughs> Jobs are good and what could go wrong? <laughs> um, obviously, the big downsides of IoT for me are making things more complex than they need to be. Yeah. Um, and a, a fine example of this is um, I thought it'd be really cool <laughs> to get an internet-connected pet feeder called PetNet. PetNet, good name. I like what they did there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so V1 PetNet, very well-reviewed on Amazon. Mm. It arrived, was very excited. You put um, kibble, like uh, my cat's favourite, is turkey-flavoured biscuits. Did Lulu uh, like the brand machine to it? Uh, the actual feeder itself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a button on the front which dispenses a feed the cat is too dumb to know that if, if she just pressed that <laughs> she'd get extra food <laughs> uh, a dog would probably figure that out fairly quickly I think <laughs> you can disable the button yeah depending on the smartness it of your animal <laughs> yeah um, so yeah pretty happy with this because I thought you know new flat let's get some cool internet things in it yeah um, and then came a day when I noticed they were they were getting some traction on Twitter and loads of people were saying that their pet feeder was not working. So the way they had it set up was you had this shiny app. Yep. They they pair together on Bluetooth and you your app helps it get onto your Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. 
standard sort of IoT device onboarding thing. Mm. And then you set a schedule. So you set, I want to feed X number of grams at these times and it ties in with different pet food suppliers, all very fancy. The problem is their software engineers weren't very good. So what they did was that schedule gets stored in the database somewhere and then the cloud tells the pet feeder when to dispense food at the precise moment that it should dispense food. So it's basically almost like a, a cron internet. It, yeah. <laughs> <that> pings. <laughs> so you've got this massive single point failure. Yeah. Um, so if your Wi-Fi goes down, you ca- can't eat. If, you're, if their servers go down, nobody's cats are getting fed. Mm. Um, and that's what happened for two days. And people were calling it starvy cat as a service. <laughs> and like, um, yeah. yeah, so it's a good example of sort of what not to do. Um, so that's that's not specific to uh, IoT style device. That's just bad architecture causing kind of a, a malfunction in the tech. Could you say, or do you think it's yeah. more likely with IoT style things? I think it's very easy to make something quickly and easily and overlook the actual design of mm. it. Um, because yeah, ideally you'd have the schedule as close to the the thing that's doing the schedule as possible. So there they probably just didn't want to do the scheduling on the device because of whatever reason of implementing it was harder than doing it on the, on the server. Maybe yeah, maybe they couldn't figure out time zones or they had some other crazy. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, a cat, a cat getting fed at BST or, you know, Indian time zone is still better than a cat starving. So Yeah, I guess if you're a naive company developing IoT, you you might get a proof of concept together and mm. it's like, can we make it feed from the internet? And they, they do that and like, oh, all right, it's done. Ship it. <laughs> yeah, ship it, bill it. Cool, 100 quid, bye. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so when we were, obviously we've had quite a few IoT projects in time, but when we look at how we architect it, we look at all the failure modes and yeah. we think about how, how this could go wrong. Um, so we do all the streetlights in Aberdeen are connected to our servers mm. and we make sure that the schedule lives on the d- device itself because any other way would be incorrect. <laughs> if, yeah. If, yeah. If the streetlights start misbehaving because the, the internet's not working, that would be bad. <laughs> yeah, some sort of motorway disco is not a good, uh, <laughs> not a good thing. Yeah, don't do that. I think, I think the interesting thing there is, because I have the same concern um, with a lot of, I guess you could declare them as more mainstream IoT things. But if you think about it, a Sonos device is, a, is an IoT style of device. It's a, yeah. a set of internet connected speakers without Sonos's. I mean, Sonos works, I believe, without any sort of Sonos backend if you're using it locally and it's set up. Yeah. But, but you know, I've, I've got um, cameras um, from different providers. If the cameras, um, servers go down, the cameras don't work. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you kind of want to have multiple failure modes and make sure that things work in those environments um i know a lot of like consumer smart lighting like mm. if you get a power cut all your lights come on and <laughs> it wakes you up <laughs> yeah uh, which, you mean you, you mean yeah yeah <laughs> is what you're saying philip's like. hue yeah looking at you um and yeah it just complicates things needlessly doesn't it it's tricky though because you've got that kind of balance between the commercial viability of something with the, the core functionality so for example if uh, ring or canary or someone said oh well if you don't want to use our services anymore then uh, you can just detach it and use it as a standalone camera yeah that'd be great but yeah, you can't definitely. do that <laughs> no no because it's all integrated and they want you to get the subscription or whatever exactly. and it's like yeah you tied in forever yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm well bought in yeah. or the 
company goes bust and it bricks your physical object. Yeah, um, which is which has happened a few times with different things, right? So. Yeah, or they get bought and they don't want to maintain it anymore. And yeah, yeah the consumer space for this is is not great. It's no. not giving it a good rep. I think in recent years, though, there's been a massive improvement. Um, so if you're looking at the nests and other areas. I mean, it, you're still tied into the, the core provider. Yeah. But I think the reliability and the, the hardware has definitely taken a step up. Yeah. Well, Nest can do some stuff without the internet. Yep. So you can choose it as a standalone out. thermostat still. Yeah, great. yeah. That's uh, you good. didn't used to be able to, I don't think. Um, um, and things like AirTags are great. Like, very simple. Hmm. Like, they've got a little cell battery in them. They'll last for a while. Yeah, you find your lost stuff. <laughs> I guess they, they still rely on Apple's infrastructure, but the likelihood of Apple discontinuing that tomorrow is probably quite small. Yeah, yeah. No, I think AirTag's a good example of a nice, simple IoT style. Does that, because you can just use it, um, pro, is it direct from devices, isn't it? So it uses yeah. the peer-to-peer -peer network for discovery. Yeah, so in lost mode, it'll send out a little chirp mm. every so often. Yeah. Um, and other devices can pick that up and locate your item. Right. I think in day-to-day -day use, I think you communicate with it directly from your phone, Great. I believe. Nice. I haven't read the spec. I'm just <laughs> you just use it. Um, yeah. If if you just if stuff just works and you don't have to understand how it works, that's usually good. Definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, IoT should really be for, yeah, in business for sort of like reducing your labor costs. Mm -hmm. So we're working on a smart bin project for North Yorkshire County Council at the moment. Right. So putting a little sensor in each bin, it communicates over LoRaWAN, which is like a long distance radio. So we're not, there's no like monthly subscription that they have to pay for a bin, which nice. would be silly. It would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and it just prevents the collection of empty or nearly empty bins, which doesn't sound like a massive problem until you realise that this person is, will be driving, so they're using petrol, mm or hopefully they've got an electric vehicle, but they're driving, they're collecting the waste, because they're already there, they might as well collect it. Yeah. So they're using a bag, so it's more waste into the environment, and yeah, spending more of their day doing that mm. when they could be doing productive things. Yeah, um, and when you scale it up, it's quite a big saving over time. Obviously, it's the long game for this sort of stuff, isn't it, really? Though? Yeah, and we integrated it with uh, Grasshopper, which is like a, a, sorry, Graph Hopper, which is a, a you know, the travelling salesman problem. Yes. They have a solution for that. Oh, uh, okay. Which isn't bad. It's all right. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, glowing review there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's like fully, fully um, the most optimal solution all the time. Yeah. But it's good. Um, and yeah, that will give you a route to go and collect these bins. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's decent. Um, it, obviously, another thing is to sort of lower costs, like energy bills, again, an environmental impact. Mm. Um, the street lighting project, for example, if you if you sort of turn these street lights down at times where it's not so busy, mm. you can you can actually save quite a lot on the energy bills and. Mm. As we know, energy is only costing more and more. So, mm, yeah, that sort of that sustainability angle is definitely a huge um, benefit of that sort of implementation of IoT. Yeah, and in in sort of manufacturing, it's often used for um, quality control. Yeah, so you might have an automated testing process for could be food, could be a device that you're manufacturing. Um, if you if you can have some way of monitoring the the production line, then you know that you you're actually going to 
have less defective items come out of that line. And I guess these are things, especially in their production lines, things that have existed for years. You know, some of the pioneers of um, of manufacturing have had these sorts of sensors and things uh, instruments along the way. Yeah. But again, it, the the technologies that are now making this more accessible to pretty much every manufacturing process is, is huge. Yeah, well, the manufacturing really sort of pioneered some of this stuff. So they've had standards for years of machines being able to talk to each other mm. and signal when to stop machines ahead and all that kind of stuff there's all sorts of standards for that yeah um but now you can layer on like things like cameras with ai and Mm. like sensors onto devices that didn't have them you know sort of retrofit smarts onto dumb machinery and stuff like that so i guess we're seeing a lot of that in the in the in the kind of domestic space as well you're seeing iot style devices that literally are just made to click some sort of button somewhere yeah Uh, yeah yeah. you're, you're making things smart by just automating the the sensor change or the, the switch or something. Yeah, well, it was that big wave of like smart plug devices, weren't they? Yeah, none with. of them fucking worked for me. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. I must have spent 200 quid in plugs and none of them worked. <laughs> yeah, they're quite limited because the thing that you're switching on has to be able to be switched on all the time. <laughs> yeah. so you couldn't use it for like a toaster or something <laughs> no, like that. No. It's just like... Yeah, hotwire your toaster <laughs> and then hope the internet will switch you off at the right time. Yeah, I'm not sure if your house insurance would really cover yeah. that one. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like something Lawrence would try, to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you've got, you've got to try it to know it definitely won't work and it sets fire to your house. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, probably not an advisory for everyone. Yeah, I mean, another thing is the predictive analytics and better decision making that can come out of monitoring things. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just whack a load of sensors on stuff stick it in a database and like we've got all this data Hmm. what do we do with it now (laughs) (laughs) um so it's yeah it's important you don't collect all the noise as well um but yeah there there are really good applications of iot um one of the things we worked on um a few years ago was it's it's a health well health focused product where they basically think they can detect the early symptoms of a severe asthma attack right so in the uk um there is quite a high death rate, a child death rate of um, of, of people having suffering asthma, asthma attacks because of road pollution and loads of other things like that. Um, and for, this was a very important sort of respiratory disease to look at until mm. obviously coronavirus came along. Yeah, <laughs> and that took centre stage for a bit, but now they're picking picking things back up. Yeah, they've got clinical trial with AstraZeneca. We helped build a device where it's it logs all this stuff and. We were quite privacy conscious. We were we wanted to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So all the data that the device collects, it encrypts and stores, um, basically on a storage medium inside the device. Right. And even the device itself can't decrypt it. So only when it gets taken to the cloud, there's a unique key pair for every single device. Right. Nice. And it's very important that we have you have that. Mm. Uh, same with the street lighting project, like we made sure that every device has its own unique key. Mm. Um, a lot of this IoT stuff, it'll be like one key to rule them all. And like, yeah, <laughs> one, one of those compromised and that's the end of that. That's yeah. it, yeah. And yeah. you can't change a lot of these devices. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's one thing shipping it with certain firmware and whatever else, but it's keeping them up to date and keeping them secure is, is, a, is a big challenge. Yeah, well, OTA has always been a big thing for us. Like we... We did the OTA for the streetlights. Over the air uh, updates. Over the air updates, yeah. sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, very important thing to add in because the only other way you would change the software is by getting a cherry picker, mm. unscrewing it from the lamp, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taking it back. That's, that's not a sustainable <laughs> model. It's quite expensive, that. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> uh, so you don't want to brick it either. Yeah. So, 
yeah, careful design around how you manage uh, the software versions of the cloud is pretty important. Parallax um, and something we're, we're keen on getting in. It's feature number one for us. Mm. So with a new project, a consumer-focused project we're working on, I don't know how much I can talk about it, but yeah, task number one is let's make OTA work. Let's make over-the-air updates work. Let's mm. make sure we can make it secure, update it from the cloud, uh, and that, then... That's nice, yeah. You can just layer on all your, all your stuff after that. So... The key to it is to have two partitions. You have like an OTA zero, OTA one areas of firmware. Mm. So while you're running in one section, you're doing the OTA, you overwrite the other section, you try and boot into it, and then you set a flag right at the start of wherever you can store stuff once it's successfully booted. Nice. And then if it doesn't successfully boot, it'll restart and fail over. So you're doing rolling, rolling deploys on firmware. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. So hot, that's how the streetlight works. That's how the um, same with the asthma thing and the, the new consumer product as well. Nice. Just get that nailed and get it solid. And then, yeah. I, I like that along with the privacy concerns as well because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of I'm trying to think of a polite way to word this. A lot of the shitter devices <laughs> um, don't have many considerations for privacy or, or for security, really, in general. Um, yeah, and yeah, the, the security stuff isn't as hard as you think it is. It's um, not, but it's, it's sometimes not um, even considered. So, you know, even just stuff like encryption on device and, and making sure that it's um, transmitted securely, things like that's great. But equally, you know, collecting data with intent, you know, you said that, you know, some some sensors just collect, or collect everything and then they figure out what to do with it later. Yeah. Um, you know, that can be useful in some scenarios where you use data science to understand or, or to, to iterate our models and figure out what to do with it. But Equally, if you have no business collecting that data in the first place, don't collect it. It's the safest way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially if it's like audio data or something like that. Mm, um, exactly. Yeah, you need to be very, very careful. Um, and yeah, a lot of the encryption tools that you can use can be overcomplicated. So mm. like OpenSSL and things like that. Yeah. You should use things like Libsodium is amazing. And a lot of modern libraries are based on Libsodium. So what's Libsodium? So Libsodium is like a really simple way to use really like industrial grade encryption it's very it's like um it's very difficult to misuse right so it makes it as simple as possible i love uh, um, i love software that's designed that way it's kind of hard to uh misunderstand the apis or you'll use it incorrectly yeah so a lot of the books that have come with encryption are these over complicated libraries which mm. is i think it's what drove google to write boring ssl like <laughs> just make it really fucking boring. make it reliable <laughs> make it boring yeah yeah and there's only one way to call it and you don't get to choose any of these parameters <laughs> yeah just, the less config the better yeah because you're giving these tools to people that aren't cryptographers so mm. make it idiot proof it's back to some of the primitives of kind of unix design and and how you know you've got one tool to do one job very well yeah that's it and the the people writing the tools should decide all the complex bits hmm. because they know what they're doing yeah um they should just give you the the overarching sort of design of it and how you should look after keys and things like that yeah there's a reason you're not writing the crypto functions yourself yeah yeah <laughs> never roll your own crypto never roll your own crypto <laughs> <laughs> try and avoid authentication all the usual tools yeah well yeah. the yeah the best people to follow are the the sort of leaders in the space like moxie who back in the day he came up with that sort of man in the middle ssl attack yeah and then he he did the whisper protocol and now he's you know, working at Signal, doing all that sort of stuff. So just look up 
the specs they put out. <laughs> and, and these are people that spend their entire lives building these specs. You know, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is not something they're doing on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, and the hackers will try and hack them as well. So That's yeah. why I'm quite, you know, a bit of a tangent here, but we just had the Apple um, conference earlier this week and, you know, Passkey, I think it was called. Um, mm. It's the you know, new password technology they're looking at, hoping to roll out. Um, hopefully making an open standard from it and things like that. You know, the, the, the sort of force behind these sorts of specs and initiatives uh, are not to be ignored. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, I think the protocol that they come, came up with for Signal is called X3DH. Right. Like a key agreement protocol. Catchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extended triple Diffie-Hellman, if you, if you really wanted to know. <laughs> Use that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Try yeah. and say that after a few beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, some of these libraries are great, and especially Libsodium. It just yeah. simplifies it. Um, but... The, the the biggest thing you can do for security is just to write down all the things that could go wrong yeah, and just think about it from all the different angles uh, and just start making a shared list. Mm. So I know it's boring, but... <laughs> well, you've got to, you know, in, in any sort of architecture or design of the system, you need to weigh up the, the kind of compromises you're making with some of the decisions that you're doing. So Yeah, that's um, it. That... that um, the pet net probably didn't uh, that that product probably didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you have to think about what happens when the internet dies. What happens when the battery di- dies? Yeah. What happens when your cat starves? Yeah. My cat starves, <laughs> or the cat opens the device and dumps the firmware. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and eats all the food inside of it. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's just it's just listing out all the risks, thinking about what the proposed actions could be. Yeah, how likely they are. What's the impact? Yeah. Um, yeah, all sensible things you should be doing on non-IoT projects as well, but mm. you're not necessarily as exposed. If you build a Rails app, it's pretty common knowledge how to keep it secure. It's yeah. already got password hashing in it. It already stops mass assignment, all that kind of stuff. And also, it's it's within your grasp to resolve those issues reasonably quickly, if not. Yeah, you um, can patch it. Yeah, uh, yeah, but if you've got a device that you maybe didn't get the over-the-air updates properly on, then yeah. you're struggling. Yeah, or you thought they were working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then it's in the field and they're not. Testing you, is important. You've got a really bad problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all these fun things where you've got, you know, maybe thousands of devices all over the place that you need to coordinate and and ensure stay yeah stay secure yeah absolutely and also making sure you don't ddos yourself as well if you've got <laughs> if you've got half a million devices out there and yeah. they all want to talk to you at 12 midnight um, don't do that <laughs> <laughs> that's so how do you work around that sort of problem how do you so you can add jitter into into protocols um and you can also give different nodes different delays great um it's sensible to do that in LoRaWAN land, at least, because it's a radio protocol and they're all on 868 band. So you don't overwhelm the band, basically. So they all talk over each other if they're not, if you don't put jitter into your protocol. So it can be just adding a random delay yeah. or you can assign different nodes a delay within a communication. So you could use sequential delay or you could choose to randomise it or however you want to do it. Yeah, so in our over-the-air update protocol, we, we talk to them all at once, but mm. we tell them if you got any problems you can let us know but often this offset that's good so that when when we finish telling everyone what the new firmware is they can go oh i missed this packet but yeah. not all at the same time yeah <laughs> um, understandable but, but yeah it's, i think it's really interesting <laughs> and i could talk for hours about street lights and iot and <laughs> things connected to the internet but it's so fascinating when you move from just building a web application over a few servers mm. and it, it's cool that loads of people can visit it on a browser, but it's a whole different ball game shipping 
I can hundreds imagine. of thousands of devices and having them talk to you every half hour. Different, similar problems, different solutions, I guess, which is quite exciting. Yeah, and yeah, you can't just jam Google Analytics on them and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to design your own, um, yeah. Like monitoring systems. Monitoring and like all the rest of it. That's really cool. So, so tell me a bit more about the asthma project because you mentioned that a bit earlier and that sounds I, I like the bridge between you know because before to be honest we started talking about IoT um, I just thought they were all shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and my perceptions definitely changed based on some of the things we talked about today but your some of the projects you've engaged in have that really positive impact on people's lives which you don't always get with these sorts of things so. yeah so the end end future goal is a, a lovely consumer focused app and your doctor would say why don't you have this device? And um, so, would can, that be like an Apple Watch in the future, or would it? It could be. It could be as miniaturised as that. Yeah. Um, at the moment, it's like a bedside table thing. Yeah. Um, and it would it would tell parents when it might be good to take their child in for more observation, or whether there's a real big problem. Um, at the moment, it's at the point where it's going through field trials, right? Um, like clinical studies. So it's they can't like interfere with the devices and we need to make sure that that's not possible and all yeah. that other considerations like that. Mm. It's a very exciting time for them and and um, they're working on the AI models to actually pick up on these different um, issues. But yeah, it's it's such a cool thing um, and love doing stuff like that where it's got a real world impact. That sounds, I'd love to ask a lot more questions, but I imagine you can't answer them <laughs> on the on Some the air. Some of it so, might be NDA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that, sound, that sounds like a really exciting bridge of, of technology into real life changing diagnosis. And, you know, you, you've seen it a lot in the past in terms of, you know, the Apple Watch is quite... Um, quite well promoted the um, heart attack or yes. regular heartbeat it thing. can figure out different heart murmurs and stuff yeah. like that yeah it's quite interesting so um, yeah, I think that's that sort of application for technology and IoT devices because I know that, um, there's some for sleep apnea and things like that as yeah, well yeah yeah um, so anything around that would be just huge value to people's lives yeah obviously med tech has a whole different level of regulation which yes. as it should yes absolutely um, so yeah, we've got a few potential projects in those kinds of areas, which is sort of proof of concept stage. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you don't want to be diagnostic because then you have to really be accurate, don't you? And I guess that was what was Apple was Apple was worried about in the beginning is like scaring people basically yeah I, I, I guess you've got to find the balance and, and I'm sure there's something in the legals saying that this is not a diagnosis <laughs> yeah um, but it's interesting because you want to you want to give early signs of, of issues and, and raise the alarm where it feels sensible to do so but you also don't want to make someone not wear a device because they're so worried about the diagnosis being wrong yeah definitely and with with data that's personal to someone's health it has to be it has to stay on the device really mm. unless they explicitly say Share this. Share this. And it has that has to be a summary as well. Yeah. Like a summary that they can visually see so mm. they know exactly what's being sent. It can't just be all the underlying data. Um, it's tricky, that, isn't it? It's really <laughs> difficult. Yeah, I think Apple gets it right. They seem, yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of the standardization that they've done around um, things that integrate with Apple Health and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and they've got um, Fire, FI, HR integration, so they can connect to medical systems and pull data out of those as well. Right. Uh, which I don't think we use too much in the UK, but I think it's US, starting it's to more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's it's, it's it's tricky again that balance of commercial viability or, or what's possible versus what's right ethically and what is the most secure way to do that. 
Yeah, I think the internet is just going to get more pervasive, and we we touched on it in the metaverse episode. Mm. Um, but we don't want it to be internet for the sake of internet and no. and making people's lives more worse and more complex <laughs> <laughs> and more anxiety driven. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, you know that that metaverse um, conversation again. You know, it's seeing a doctor in the metaverse, for example. Well, technically, if you're going to make a diagnosis over over the internet, that data is going to be transmitted in some form. Yeah. Um, so whether it's you know deeper stats or, or data points on what a device is recorded, or you saying to a doctor something, it's it's the same sensitive data just in different formats. Yeah. Well, I think video GP is being a big game changer, like mm. um, especially with how difficult it is to get an appointment these days. <laughs> yeah. You have to ring at eight on the dot and then it's busy and then, yeah. Yeah, I could get political on that. I'm not going to. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just seeing somebody over video calls so calming sometimes. Like you can just say, this is the problem. Yeah. I've got a problem with my hand at the moment. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, yeah. yeah, just some reassurance that I am not having a heart attack. <laughs> it's <laughs> <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> it's not that. It might be this. But yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not. I, don't, I think you're okay. I think I'm all right. <laughs> Um, thank God. It might um, be in the conference that set me off. <laughs> so, yeah, certainly I'm still recovering too. But um, but yes, so, I mean, anything else that you think we need to kind of discuss around IoT? No, I think it's just exciting and we, we're keen to do more IoT stuff, but we need to be mindful and not just adding internet to stuff for the sake of it. And yeah, yeah it's going to be an exciting time, especially with... Yeah, predictive analytics and all that side as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, if you if you're going to go down that route, have intent, have a have an end goal. Don't just start collecting all the data and, and make sure it's it's well thought out. Yeah, defo. Nice, cool. Yeah, thanks for your insights there. You know, it's super interesting to hear what, uh, what you and, and Parallax are doing in that space. Um, if you've got any uh, any other thoughts on this, obviously ping uh, ping James on on Twitter, um, Mr Rio on Twitter. That's um, it. You can or at Parallax or at Parallax if you if you want to you want to get them to build an IoT <laughs> thing that'd be even better. Um, but yeah, thanks very much, Rio. Uh, good good to chat. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Off Script with James and Josh. Um, check out my agency, Parallax, and also Josh's agency, Stack. And give us a like, give us a follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm.